So we are concluding this series today that we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And, and in, in the Bible, we have uh, four different versions of Jesus' life. And the Gospels um, are the, the first books of the New Testament. And we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and all four of these versions of Jesus' life give us a different perspective of um, what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, how he interacted with different people. Because all of the different gospel writers, again, had a little bit of a different experience, right? And they, they saw um, miracles, and they saw teachings and, and interactions from a different perspective. And so as we, as we study all of their different perspectives, we get a bigger full picture of the life of Jesus. And the last several weeks, we've been working our way through the gospel of Mark. Now, two of the gospel writers were disciples. They were ones that were with Jesus for those three and a half years, day in and day out, and walked with him and experienced everything firsthand. And then we have two of the gospel writers that were not disciples. And they, again, they, they worked with the early church, but yet they were not ones that had walked with Jesus every day. And, and Mark is one of them that was not a disciple. Okay, um, but yet, Mark was the first gospel to be written down. Again, as, as um, shortly after Jesus had risen and ascended uh, to heaven, and then he passed the baton on to the apostles and to, to spread the good news of the gospel and, and to, to expand the church throughout the world. And, and as they did that, those apostles brought on extra people and teams to help them and expand the church. And, and Mark was one of those people. Okay, Mark worked very closely with the apostle Peter. Okay, and Peter was the one that Jesus described and, and uh, um, as the leader of the apostles, he was the rock that the church would be built upon. And Mark worked closely with Peter. And most of their ministry at the time when this gospel was written down was happening in, this, in the city of Rome. Right? And, and under Roman rule and, and surrounded by, by Gentiles, by non-Jewish people that, that again, were in this, this religious culture of, of all kinds of gods. And in fact, the, the ruler of Rome at that time was King Nero. And King Nero believed himself to be a god and asked all of those under his rule to worship him as a god. And yet, um, Mark and Peter and all the apostles and everybody who was following Jesus um, had a problem with that because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that there is one true God and that that nothing is worthy of worship other than that one God. And so we see as Mark starts out his gospel, he, he draws a line very quickly in the very first verse of the gospel, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark makes this emphatic statement when he says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Right? And by this declaration, in the very first verse, they are are inviting all kinds of persecution on them, all kinds of, of, of trouble is going to come their way because by declaring that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, they are implying that Nero is not a God. Right? That, that Jesus is the only thing worthy of our worship. Right? And with that came lots of persecution, lots of, uh, of trouble that brought into their life. But it was worth it because this was the truth. Right? And Jesus and God is more powerful than King Nero, more powerful than anything else on this planet. And, and they de openly declared their allegiance to Jesus. 
with that said, we then see this, this theme that runs through the gospel that we've, we've seen throughout the, the last several weeks as we studied the parables and the teachings and, and the miracles and everything that happened. We see this theme that runs through the gospel of Mark, and that is this question of who or what do you give authority to in your life? Right, who or what do you give authority to in your life? Because the truth is, we can give authority to lots of things. Right, we can give authority to the one true God, and as, just as Mark declares here that he is the Messiah, the one true God, we give him ultimate authority, or we can give authority to many other things in our life and center our lives and focus our lives on, on all kinds of things. Yeah, we understand this, this concept of authority in our life. Right, Authority means we give them permission to be to, to, to lead us down, you know, the path of our life. We, we, we submit to their authority, meaning we follow what they tell us to do. And again, we give authority to many different things in our culture, but our ultimate authority in our life, the one that is unchanging, that, that without question we will follow, right, is that number one ultimate authority. And again, Mark openly declares that authority is Jesus Christ. Right, and as we see him make this declaration, right, and we see this theme run through all of the stories and all the miracles and all the healings, all the teachings, all the parables and all of the arguments throughout the gospel. Right, and then we see, as we celebrate it on Friday night at our Good Friday service, we see that Jesus submits himself to a few different earthly authorities in order to accomplish his mission. And that mission... And his earthly life end up on the cross. Right? And on that cross, through death on that cross, Christ accomplishes his mission. Why he lived to sin this life so that he could die on that cross right, and take our place to pay the debt for our sin. And now we, today, we now arrive at the miraculous conclusion to the gospel. Okay, and so we're going to read again from our text this morning in Mark chapter 16, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 8. So if you have your own Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 16. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, there are Bibles provided for you in the seat pockets you're, you are welcome to use. And if you grab one of those, you'll notice on the outline is the page numbers of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Okay, and we're going to open up and read this morning, uh, start off with Mark chapter 16, Verses 1 through 8, okay, where it says, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting on the right side, and the women were shocked. But the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. And the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. 
Now, as we read, again, this, this experience of these women coming up to, again, to the tomb, and again, at first, they're kind of asking this question. They're like, hey, we need to anoint his body. They were not able to anoint his body on Friday night because it was the start of the Passover, right? And the start of the Sabbath. And, and it had to be, to be put off until the first moment they could. And they, they arrived again on sunrise on Sunday morning as the first moment that they could anoint Jesus' body. And they show up. And the, as we sell it, right, the, the rock is already rolled away. The angel's sitting there saying, you don't need to anoint his body because his body is not here. Because he is not dead anymore. Right? And we see, again, this, this interaction with them, and yet, um, you know, we understand right, that Jesus had a mission, right? and that Jesus accomplished his mission through the cross. Now, this was a mission that Jesus had talked about over and over and over again throughout the, throughout the gospel, to the disciples, to the Pharisees, to everybody else. He says, hey, watch, like, I, I'm going to tear down this temple, I'm going to rebuild it in three days. Right? And they all thought that he was talking about the physical building, and yet he was saying, no, I'm going to tear down this body, and I, it's going to be rebuilt in three days. And, and again, they never, it never clicked to them exactly what Jesus meant. Right? But again, before this time, before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus talked a big game. Right? In fact, that, that, that's what the Pharisees got so upset about, was he made these huge claims. And now on Sunday morning, Right, the morning of Easter, okay, we see here that Jesus proves his divine authority over sin and death through the resurrection. Again, Jesus had talked a big game up to this point. In fact, it was that talk that got him sent to the cross. And, and now, on Sunday morning, on Easter morning, Jesus proves his divine authority. Jesus didn't just talk a big game. Jesus followed through. Jesus fulfilled everything he claimed he would do, right? And now we see that proof on Easter morning. Now, the truth is this. Anybody can talk a big game, right? Anybody can talk a big game, but can you prove it, right? That's where, that's where it really comes down. That's where the rubber meets the road, right? We can say all kinds of things, but can we prove it? But with this, with this idea, you know, we know that there's a big difference between winning by luck, right, and winning by ability. Uh, in, in, our, in our house we had in Boise, we had a basketball court in our backyard. Okay? And, and me and my boys, we would play pig all the time. Okay? And in fact, this was an ongoing game in our backyard. And, and, and you know, there's the truth about pig is that you can play pig, right? You can, you can make these crazy shots and, in fact, all that. But a lot of those shots come by luck. Right? Again, you can talk a big game. Right? In fact, one, one of my biggest um, favorite shots to go to in pig, and, and my boys hate it, is I stand behind the backboard and shoot it really high over the backboard and make it into the hoop. And, and again, and truthfully, you know, I mean, I, I've gotten fairly good at that shot, but it's still pretty lucky when it goes in. See, but we have a house rule about our games of pig. Okay, is you can get the first couple letters, but, but to, to get somebody out, to get that G on somebody, you have to prove it. Okay, again, we're saying you're not going to win by luck. Right? Again, I, I make, you make the shot, the person after you has to go make it, they miss, right? they get the final letter, and then 
you have to prove it. Right? Which means you have to make the same shot a second time to get them out of the game. You're not going to win by luck. And again, and we're, we're just a little bit competitive, but you're not going to win by luck. Right? You have to prove it. Anybody can talk a big game, but can you prove it? Right? And we know that, right? That when you get down to the last letter, you don't do those crazy shots anymore. Right? You, you, make the, you take the shot that you know you can make twice. Right? Because you, you don't want to go through that cycle too many times right? of not being able to prove it. Right? And Jesus never went through that cycle. Right? Jesus proved it the first time. Right? In fact, that when you look at the trial and, and everything that the religious leaders and the Pharisees and all that they, they did to send him to the cross, right? they were sitting back and they were like, Jesus, you've made a lot of big claims. Can you prove it? Right? And Jesus is like, yup. Watch this. I can prove it. And he did. Jesus proved his divine authority over sin and death through the resurrection. Right? Because now there's no question that the body's not there. Right? There's no, again, there's all these theories about maybe different things of, you know, that the disciples stole the body, that the, the Pharisees stole the body, that all these things, but yet uh, none of them ring true because Jesus proved it. Right? And, and he claimed his his rightful divine authority, not just in our lives, but over the entire world. The resurrection wasn't done by accident. It wasn't a lucky win. It was God's plan all along to save all of us from sin and death and give us eternal life. And now when we see as Jesus proves it and these women show up, we see their initial reaction to this miracle. Okay, the women's initial reaction was one of shock. Okay, now there are lots of things in this world that can shock us, like the fact that I'm wearing a tie today. I know you're all shocked. Yeah, I know. Everyone's like, yeah, he actually does own a tie. I do own a tie. I own a few of them. Hey, now, the, again, we're shocked by lots of things. Okay, these women were shocked at Jesus' resurrection. In fact, this can be a pretty common response to the resurrection. Again, we can have this idea, this, this common response of why would God ever want to save me after all that I've done and all the evil things that I've followed, how I've treated God, how would he ever want to save me? Right, and that's a reaction of shock. of Like, there's no way that God would ever save me. But yes, he will. Right, that's not true. In fact, again, Jesus proves it. And it is shocking to realize that God does indeed love you that much. Because he does. He does love you that much. And he loved you that much to send his son to, to sacrifice his life on the cross. Right? And then he proved his power and he proved his authority by rising again on the third day. And we don't have to be shocked by that. But in fact, we should take the angel's advice that he gives the women in the tomb. He says, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Because you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. But there is no body because he's alive. And he loves you that much. He loves you that much. 
right? And we can take that advice. Don't be shocked. God knew what the price was for our salvation, and he paid it, right? Not only did he die, but he conquered death by rising again, exactly like he said he would. So don't be shocked, because God is that powerful, and God does love you that much. Now we're going to continue the story as we pick up in Mark chapter 16 with verse 9. Mark 16, verse 9. It says, After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them what Jesus, that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterwards, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. And still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together, and he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. Okay, we're going to pause there as we see that Jesus here, again, proves his divine authority, right, by rising again, and we see as he proves that, that starts, again, that proof starts at the empty tomb. But, and then Jesus continues to prove that he's risen again as he appears to many different people in his resurrected body. Okay, and as he continues to do that, right, is Jesus now not only proves his authority, but he also establishes his divine authority as he interacts with many people after the resurrection. And he proves the fact that he, he has that authority, and now he establishes it with each of these different people, one by one, as he appears to them. Because the resurrection by Jesus is an incredible miracle. But, and yet, it is also incredibly important. Because without the resurrection, the gospel message is, is not a message at all. Right, and Jesus establishes his authority by interacting with people after the resurrection. In the book One to One, the author Joe White, he says this about the resurrection. He says, the resurrection of Jesus after his torture and crucifixion is the single most important historical factor in all of Christianity. Jesus is the only religious figure in the history of mankind to make the claim of deity and subsequently rise from the dead. The resurrection alone puts Jesus light years ahead of all other religious figures in history and in a category all his own. Okay, the resurrection not just proves his authority, but it establishes his authority. Again, Jesus did not establish his authority with a few people behind closed doors that nobody saw. No, Jesus appeared to literally hundreds and hundreds of people in his resurrected form. Not only was Jesus the only historical religious leader to ever rise from the dead, he did it publicly. Interactions with the resurrected Jesus is recorded 15 different times in Scripture to literally hundreds and hundreds of people. And yet, we see the disciples, and their initial reaction to the rumors of the resurrection. 
right? Again, he did not appear to them yet, and, and whether it's to these women, whether it's to these other disciples on the road to Emmaus, and, and Jesus kept appearing to all these people, and they're telling him, and yet the, the disciples, their initial reaction to the resurrection was one of disbelief. Again, it should not have been shocking to them either, and yet they did not believe the eyewitnesses until Jesus himself shows up. Right, and again, they reacted like many do today. No matter what others tell them about Jesus, they didn't believe it until Jesus himself shows up. Right, and Jesus shows up to them in verse 14. It says, still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. And he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he'd been raised from the dead. Again, I look at this, and again, these were the ones, these were the, the guys that were closest to Jesus. They heard firsthand all of these teachings, all the things that Jesus had, had taught them and, and shown them, and all of the miracles and, and all of those things, and yet they did not believe it at first. And then Jesus shows up, he's like, Look, I'll prove it to you. Right? What they're telling you is real. And Jesus shows up. And then it's interesting that Jesus rebukes them. Now, again, I don't know how you read this, but I read this through the eyes of a parent. Right? And we know as a parent, if you've had kids, you know as a parent, right? If there are things that you know are true. You can tell them over and over and over again, don't do this, don't cross this line, whatever it would be, and yet our kids push back. Right? And, and when they push back is when, as a parent, we have to establish our authority in their life. Right? And, and I go, for those of you that know my, my boys, you might be shocked to realize that there are a few of them that like to push back on some rules. And I remember, especially when they were really little, we'd have to go and we'd be like, no, you're not going to do that. And they kind of push back. And, and I remember in more than one conversation, I had to sit down and be like, we can continue this conversation, but one thing I will guarantee to you is you are going to lose. You are going to lose this, this conversation. And it may be a little bit of hint of, competition. Maybe not, but, right, but you know, I had to establish that authority. I right, saying, you are not the parent. I'm the parent. Right, again, and we know our motivation as a parent. Our motivation with our kids is because we want them to grow up to be respectful adults, right? And we know that we all have an authority in our life, right? And part of that process of parenting is them realizing that they're not the uh, ultimate authority in their own life. Right, again, and that's as parents, we also are to show them, right, that, again, we're, I'm not the ultimate authority, even in my own kids' lives. It's God is their ultimate authority. And I have to show them that through my life and through how I parent them. Right, but as we see that, Jesus shows up, and he, he has to parent the disciples. Right, and he rebukes them and establishes his authority with them and says, guys, I told you this. I backed it up, and now the ball's in your court. Right, and he gives them, again, a mission. Because now, this truthfully was a fight that the disciples, I'm sure, were very happy to lose. Right, they were wrong. They should have believed those other ones. Because them losing this argument meant that their faith was not misplaced. It meant that all the sacrifices that they had made to follow Jesus were worth it. It meant that their lives still had purpose. 
And then in the following verses, after Jesus rebukes them, he gives them their new purpose. Okay, in Matthew 16, picking up at verse 15, where it says, And then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They'll be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. And when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. And here, as we see the, the conclusion of the gospel and, and this theme of authority in our life, Jesus proves his authority through his death and resurrection. Jesus establishes his authority with the disciples and with, with every disciple that would ever follow Jesus. And then here, right, Jesus exercises his authority by giving all believers a mission to accomplish. He proved it, he established it, and then he exercised it by giving us all a mission to fulfill. Again, what is that mission? He tells them that mission in verse 15 when he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. What is the good news? The good news is that Jesus lived a sinless life and he died on a cross in our place to pay our sin debt. And he rose again on the third day by conquering sin and death so that we can be saved and be in an ongoing relationship with him. That's the good news of the gospel. And they were tasked to go and to spread that good news throughout the world. And because they did it, we are all here today. Right? And there we see, again, this, this final reaction by every follower of Jesus, and that is a reaction of obedience. They did what Jesus told them to do. They followed through. They finished the game. They let Jesus prove it, right, as he then establishes authority in our life. And as a follower of him, we commit to being obedient to him. Okay, and as they follow through with obedience, Right, they said, then it went out, and we see then they were successful. And that this is the, the dramatic conclusion to the entire gospel, 16 verse 20. It says, and the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said with many miraculous signs. They fulfilled their mission. Right, and we're all thankful they did, because if they didn't, we would not be here today. Right? And yet, as a follower of Jesus, we have that same mission, right? To go forward, to, to share the love of Christ with everybody who needs it. And that's everybody, by the way. So I want to conclude today with, with this question, and that is, what is your reaction to Jesus' divine authority? What is your reaction to his authority? We see these different reactions. We see this reaction of shock. We see also with the women, we saw this reaction they had of fear. Right? And we've talked through the, these previous messages. We've seen fear run through the gospel and how fear can paralyze us. And how we saw again a couple weeks ago that the opposite of faith is fear. 
right? And yet the wind got over their fear and they went and told the disciples, right? We also saw again this, this reaction of disbelief. Or is your reaction one of obedience? As we see these reactions, I want to step back in the gospel to, to these three verses that we, we read on Friday night. Okay, and in these three verses, these three verses encompass the entire gospel message. Okay, Mark chapter 15, verses 37 through 39. It says, Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Now, like I said, these three verses encompass the entire gospel message. And let me explain to you how that happened. Plus, I encourage you to underline the phrase, Jesus breathed his last on your outline. Jesus breathed his last. Because the wages of sin is death. And that's exactly the price that Jesus paid, was death. But Jesus was the perfect sacrifice because he lived a sinless life. And therefore, he could die in our place and pay our sin debt instead of his own. And so he becomes the ultimate sacrifice. Because the wages of sin is death, but Jesus paid that price as the ultimate sacrifice. He becomes our sacrificial lamb. And then the next phrase, Underline the sentence, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Again, God was willing to pay this high price because of his love for us. Sin breaks our relationship between us and him. And he did everything to restore that relationship. Again, God's presence was in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, behind this curtain, or this veil. That was where God's presence lived in the covenant of the law. And yet, as soon as Jesus paid the price, the curtain gets torn. Right, and that represents the fact that now God's presence doesn't have to be live in the Holy of Holies in the temple, separated from us. Now God's presence is restored to us relationally. Because once the price is paid, then we can be restored relationally to Jesus. And we can have a relationship with God. And that now is where the presence of God lives, is in the heart of every believer through the Holy Spirit. Right? And the veil is torn because God's presence is not there anymore. It's in the heart of every believer because the price has been paid. And then the last part, underline the, the phrase that the Roman officer says, this man truly was the son of God. Underline that on your outline. Because this is the final part of the gospel message. This is how we accept this gift of salvation by grace. Through faith. Right? And faith is accepting that gift from God, asking for forgiveness and being forgiven by him, and following him in obedience. In Romans 10.9, it says that if anyone who believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth will be saved. And here, this Roman officer makes the most um, clear 
distinction of God's authority in the entire gospel. This man truly was the son of God. He believed in his heart everything that Jesus said. He confessed with his mouth, right, and shows us how we accept Christ into our life. The entire gospel message is summed up in these three verses. And as we realize that, it it causes us to say, what is our reaction going to be? Are we going to accept Christ as our Savior, join the journey of faith, confess our sins, say, God, forgive me. I know you paid my price. Now I accept that forgiveness. Come into my life and help me move in a new direction. And maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior before. And I, and I hope, if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior before, that you will leave here today as a follower of Jesus. That you will do exactly as this Roman officer did, and that is believe in your heart, right, and confess with your mouth. And you can confess with your mouth just in your own mind and pray to God and just say, Lord, I believe in you. Forgive me. Come into my life and save me. And maybe you have received Christ as your Savior, but yet on this Easter you're saying, man, my faith has been has been." stalled out. I'm not journeying forward in my faith, and I want to. And, and today, again, you can, you can ask that same thing to God. Say, God, I, I now give you that authority again in my life, and I want you to continue to move. And you start moving forward in your faith. And be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today. But I don't know where your faith is. I don't even know what reaction you have right now to Jesus. But this is my final thought today, and that is no matter what initial reaction you've had to Jesus. Because of the resurrection, you can be forgiven, saved, and start moving in a new direction. Are you ready to join the journey of faith? Okay, you can join the journey of faith by accepting him as your savior for the very first time, or you can join the journey of faith and saying like, no, I'm gonna restore my faith and I'm gonna be moving in my faith. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna camp, I'm not gonna be stymied anymore. I'm gonna journey forward. Again, I don't know where your faith is, but I hope that you will leave here today as a fully committed follower of Jesus, acknowledging his authority and saying, I am moving towards him from this day on. Lord God, that's our prayer today. God, that we would all come awake in our faith. God, we thank you, Lord, that, that there was no body in that tomb on Sunday morning. God, we thank you, Lord, that you have proved, Lord, everything you claim. God, and we acknowledge today that you are the divine authority. And God, we pray that as we go from here today, God, that we live our lives, Lord, in submitting to you in obedience. God, that we would take our faith, Lord, seriously in our life, that we would move forward, that we would be more like you tomorrow than we are today. And God, that we would shine your light and your love in this world that so desperately needs it. And God, we pray that by our faith, God, people will be turned to you. God, we thank you and we praise you today, God, that you conquered death. And God, that you gave us a purpose and a mission to accomplish in our lives. And God, as we go this week, God, we will honor you with with everything we do and love you with everything we have. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.